Why did Jesus ascend to heaven? If he rose from the dead, he conquered death, and he remained with the apostles for 40 days before ascending, why couldn't he have just stuck around for 2,022 years and showed up in Camrose at least once in our lifetime and say, hey, I'm here, just keep believing, you're good. But he ascended, he departed. And I'm sure as much for us as it was for the disciples, a part of us feels like he just abandoned us. Why did he leave when he didn't really have to? There was nothing that would have stopped him from remaining on earth for all time to proclaim to us his death and resurrection. So why did Jesus ascend to heaven? Well, with Luke that we hear from today more than once, you have to see the ascension as the bookend to the resurrection. And he does it very explicitly in the way that he writes the narrative. So if you think all the way back to Easter Sunday, when the women go to the tomb and they see the empty tomb, who are there to speak to them? Two angels. Two angels waiting and they tell the women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now today in the Acts of the Apostles, which is written by St. Luke, when Jesus ascends into heaven, two angels again appear and tell the apostles, why do you stand here looking up? Also in Luke, on the road to Emmaus on Easter Sunday, they are walking, and when Jesus is with them, it says that their eyes were opened to come to understand what Jesus was doing for them. Today, as Jesus describes to the apostles everything that is being fulfilled in him, it says that he opened their minds. And then finally, with the ascension, particularly in the Acts of the Apostles, when we hear that Jesus is lifted up with a cloud, I think often the image in our head is Jesus was standing on this pillowy platform and he went up like an elevator up into heaven. But what St. Luke is referring back to are images of the Old Testament in reference to God. To be lifted up means to be exalted. And there is only one who is exalted, God alone. And if you remember back to the catechesis on incense, when you see cloud, think the cloud of God's presence. The ascension is that final conclusion that Jesus is God. So, why did Jesus ascend to heaven? One of the reasons, to give us a heavenly vision of life. See, if he remained with us, we would have the temptation of trying to cling to him. And in the Gospel of John, after Jesus rises from the dead, he tells his apostles, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father and your Father. We always have that temptation as human beings to cling to an individual that they are the source of everything that we need. But Jesus, time and time again, is telling everyone who listens to him, I have come to show you the Father. He's leading us to the Father. And so he ascends so that he can lift our minds and our hearts to God the Father and not cling just to him. He's giving us a heavenly vision of life. And that's not just an intellectual reality, that's part of it. 
but it's a heavenly vision of life that consumes our whole being and our whole existence. And that stands in opposition or in contradiction to a lot of the ways that people approach life nowadays. Nowadays, it's very much this idea that life is the sum of parts. What do I mean by that? Well, it's the idea that if I do A and I have B and I experience C, then I will have joy and peace. That the combination of these parts will give me the outcome that I'm looking for in life. How many of us have tried that? And yeah, maybe we get some joy and peace out of it, but it doesn't really last. And then we got to find new pieces to put together to make it happen again. This is not the heavenly vision of life. The heavenly vision of life is cohesive and all-encompassing. But that's not an easy thing to describe or understand. But here's a few examples of what is impossible in this life without that heavenly vision. One of them, the integrity of the family. The integrity of the family is impossible without a heavenly vision of life. And we don't have to go to an extreme, to broken families and all of the hardships that can arise. We can go to a much lesser degree to see where it already becomes compromised. There's a real danger that family can become functional, that we serve each other. We enjoy each other's company while we're together, we love each other, but then when that time is done, we separate and we move on and we go about our own lives. Seeing the integrity of the family is being willing to allow each member of the family and the immediate family and the extended family to actually shape our lives, to be an inconvenience to our life, to be willing to stop what I am living for the good of the integrity of the whole family. I'll give you one example that is frustrating me more and more all the time. When somebody dies, people are not stopping their life to go to the funeral anymore. More and more, they're picking a day that's convenient with their life, which is closer to the weekend, so that they can tie driving out to grandma's funeral with going away on the weekend. That the day needs to be out of convenience, not out of stopping and letting grandma's death shape my life. The integrity of the family is impossible without a heavenly vision of life. Another one, to give what is mine for the good of another. To take from what I have earned and what I have worked for and built up for my life and willingly dispense myself of it simply for the benefit of another person. We might be willing to create the opportunity for someone else to be successful, put things in their way so that they can come to that themselves, but how much am I willing to divest myself of what I've earned for the good of someone else, right? We create equal opportunity for everyone, but really, it's up to you to figure it out. You're the one that has to figure out how to survive in this life, and I can't do it for you which also means I won't do it with you. The heavenly vision of life makes us willing to do it with them.
to suffer with them through their hardship. Another one, mercy over pure justice. That's not fair. We think that only children say that, but adults do too. In the world, there is the pursuit of justice in all things. And when, the, the, when mercy comes up, when they use the word mercy, it's usually just associated with pity. And pity is not Christian mercy. The only thing that makes real mercy, the mercy of Christ crucified, possible is a heavenly vision of life. And the last one, hope in suffering is only possible with a heavenly vision of life. Otherwise, suffering is just an impediment to me doing A and having B and experiencing C. And so I need to get rid of suffering because it is an inconvenience to me trying to accomplish the purpose that I've given to my life. Hope in suffering is only possible with that heavenly vision of life. And the struggle is, is that if we stay at a more base level, if we don't strive to come to know what that heavenly vision of life is, we start to think that something lesser is normal. The vision, the idea that came to my head was when I was 12 years old is when I got glasses. And outside of my parents' bay window at home is this big leafy tree. So I saw the tree, it was there with its trunk and its leaves. But then the day that I got my glasses and I put my glasses on for the first time, I could see, oh, I can see individual leaves. I can see that there's branches hiding in behind the leaves. But I didn't know what I couldn't see until I could see it. And it's the same thing in this heavenly vision of life. If you want something to reflect on for that, just think of someone in your life where you're just frustrated with them whenever you have a conversation about a particular topic, because it's like, why can't you just see this? And no matter how much you speak to them about that particular topic and try to enlighten them of a greater reality than whatever they see, they just can't get it. Well, the distance between them and you is much smaller than the distance between you and God's vision of life. We need to let the grace that comes from God through our baptism, through the death and resurrection of Christ, to increasingly give us this vision of life that is God's alone. To open our eyes, to open our minds to what God alone can reveal to us. And the way that Jesus does this in the ascension is kind of a simple human reality that he makes divine. Just think of someone who excels at something that you are passionate about, right? Someone who's very successful in doing one particular thing. If you ever hear them interviewed or talking about how they got to that success, if they started talking, oh man, it was the piece of cake, you know, I just woke up one morning and it just kind of happened, you kind of go, oh great, well, I don't care about you anymore because it's bloody hard for me to do it, and I'm not anywhere near your success. So if it was so easy for you, I don't understand you. You don't make sense to me. But the ones who have found success 
and when they're interviewed and we hear them talk and we hear about their successes and failures along the way and the way that they had to struggle to come to an understanding of whatever they're skilled at and the hurdles along the way to get to that success, we go, oh, I know what that is. I've lived through that. So their success, that could also be possible for me. And what Jesus does in the ascension is that he takes with him our humanity. He glorifies, he divinizes the human experience because he doesn't leave behind his human nature when he is resurrected and ascended. He brings it with him to the Father. That's why the primary virtue that we reflect on at the ascension is hope, which is what St. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians today. He says that with eyes, with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And the hope to which he has called you is this heavenly vision of life, which is that you have a place in God. Jesus has made room for you in all of your human weakness in God. That is the hope of the ascension that we can look to God in heaven and we don't see a God who is infinitely distant from us because he just doesn't make sense to us because he's perfect. No, he's a God who has taken on our human weakness and glorified. He's lifted it up. And that's the gift of our Christian life. That in the ascension, we are reminded that we have a God who has taken on everything that is us to draw us to himself. And in that, we are given this heavenly vision of life. That we can always look to what is eternal and infinite and perfect, not with seeing it as so far beyond us, but seeing it as the gift from the Father who loves us. So, the question as we come to the end of our Easter season is, am I willing to let that heavenly vision of life be given to me? Because it requires us to have our eyes opened and our minds opened to a vision of life that is, frankly, beyond us. That it's going to stretch us. It's going to force us to look at others and things in this life differently which in some ways is going to separate us further from others in our life because they'll become incapable of seeing it that way, which doesn't distance us from them. Jesus didn't distance himself from all those around him, but that heavenly vision of life. So why did Jesus ascend? To lead us to the Father. So that we don't cling to him, but we cling to the ultimate vision of God for us, which is to have a place with him.